sisters, listen closely. Finding out he's the one can sometimes feel like traveling through a desert of uncertainty. I mean, every time you feel like you've reached an oasis, it ends up being a mirage. As your resident sister and friend, here are five common red flags that you need to steer clear away from. First up, if he's asking for your phone number straight off the bat, but not your dad's, well, that's a major red flag waving in your face. Next, if he's hitting you up with texts and calls late at night, you better believe he's not serious and chances are he won't respect your boundaries. Watch out for those put down disguised as sarcastic banters. You know, the ones that make you the butt of the joke. It's time to show him the door. And oh, if he's more interested in hearing himself talk than listening to what you have to say, girl, that's a sign you need to run in the opposite direction. And let's not forget the classic line, my ex was crazy. Yeah, right. If he's mouth-mouthing his ex left and right, chances are he's the one with the issues. And those are just the obvious red flags. Let's help you uncover what's really hiding underneath the surface with Vibe Check, the ultimate prompt card game for meaningful connections. Crafted with deep respect for Islamic traditions, Vitech goes beyond the surface, allowing you to discover the essence of your potential life partner's faith, character, and aspirations. With eight thoughtfully crafted categories and 135 thought-provoking questions, Vitech ensures a comprehensive understanding of your potential spouse, from values and ambitions to personal quirks and preferences. I mean, skip the surface-level discussions and dive straight into what truly matters. Visit our website, www.thedigitalstory.com now and take the first step towards finding your righteous partner. Your journey to marital bliss begins here. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Sisterhood Podcast. Um, this week is going to be a little bit of a producer takeover. I am sitting in my, what I call my studio right now. <laughs> Only those who know, know you know. Um, what you say, the biggest... The biggest company started in garages. Mine is uh, in a closet. You never know. <laughs> but it's a pretty cozy closet. Uh, alhamdulillah. So this week's episode was supposed to be a story that we were supposed to release. Matter of fact, this episode was supposed to come out a couple of weeks ago. And I know a lot of you guys have been waiting patiently, refreshing that uh, app. And it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to be a, a program that people look forward to. When we went to visit New York and we had the opportunity to sit down with uh, Mufti Munir, uh, he also talked about that where it's he said, this is not just a podcast that people just listen to and just move on with their life. A lot of people are looking for that love. They're, they're looking for that presence and it, and it saves people's lives and souls to be able to sit down with your podcast so and listen and it's a healing environment it's a healing process and anything that gets people close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we should be working as hard as we can and as best as we can to fulfill that uh that trust and so and that's not something that has ever went unnoticed with the team and it's such a beautiful blessing to be able to have and be a part of a a process or a podcast or an experience that brings people closer to Allah it's the only thing that we've ever prayed for and the fact that our name is associated with sisterhood is something I know for sure Adar has always dreamed of you know a lot of times when you're talking about your dreams you're talking about them when they don't when you don't see them yet and there's a certain type of faith that you got to have that they're kind of come out and uh, 
we were both dreaming of something like this and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed it to us. And it's if you want to relate it to your own life, it's how we believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how we believe that he is, like we will inshallah get to see him one day and Jannah exists and that uh, the day of judgment will come and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's justice will be served, you know, for those who've been living in oppression, for those who've been, you know, murdered, you know, the things are happening in Palestine, the things are happening in China, all of these um, places, and even in places that we don't even know, you know, even in the the prison systems uh, around the globe, you know, sometimes tyrants think that they have, they have it all, and they'll be able to uh, go get away with this, but we as Muslims know that Subhanallah, the justice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is coming. And the justice of Allah is not like the justice of human beings. Like, you know, if you think about Hitler, the amount of people that he murdered, um, and, you know, what he got just to die one time, but he murdered and caused the pain of millions of people, you know? And, you know, so you can never equally <laughs> put those two punishments together, uh, you know? And that's why the Day of Judgment is a day that we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect us and allow us to be on the right path. And to be with our sisters and our the people who love us for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and whom we've loved for the sake of Allah. And so I'm sitting here a lot of times, you know, as a producer, I see all the behind the scenes work. I know everything that goes into making this podcast happen. Um, it's been my dream. It's a lot of work. But the majority of people are just experiencing it, you know, for an hour, maybe an hour, 30 minutes on the other side. And, you know, you have your own life and your own world. And this podcast plays a part in it, right? And so as the people who produce this podcast, this week, I was going to, push myself or just you know <laughs> to the brink of exhaustion and just um bang out the episode but to be honest uh for me these episodes are done with a certain form of love and a certain form of uh care that requires time and requires um presence and so I felt it, it would be an injustice if I just rushed this episode for the sake of putting on another episode. And in that same concept, I think this, this week, one of the things I learned, subhanAllah, was, you know, you know the ayah, Yuridullahu ankum. You should always start when you're reading Quran with Aoud Bilam Shaitan Raji, right? Because Allah said so in the Quran. So let's let's restart that. Aoudu Billahi Mina Shaitanir Rajim. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Yuridullahu Ayu Khafifa Ankum. وَخُلِقَ الْإِنسَانُ ضَعِيفًا What that actually means, subhanAllah, that actually means, I don't know. I'm going to put it up on my Quran app. If you don't have a Quran app in your, you know, at least if you're not opening up your physical Quran, you should always be opening up your online Quran. Alhamdulillah, that we get to have this opportunity. Um, but I shared this verse one time on my Instagram. And I got so much responses from it. Uh, and it was just like, you know, I was sitting down and I was feeling exhausted. And this ayah came through my reading. And subhanAllah. And subhanAllah, this... Ooh. You guys are going to get to hear everything that's not edited out this week. <laughs> I'm just going to go for it. Um, so this, uh, one of the things that, subhanAllah, that I got, my eye got attracted to was that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَخُلِقَ الْإِنسَانُ ضَعِيفًا And who else is, is, is meant to tell us what mankind, so the verse means, 
يريد الله أن يخفف عنكم and it is Allah Allah's will to lighten your burdens وَخُلِقَ الْإِنسَانُ ضَعِيفًا for humankind was created weak and it opened up a lot for me because I'm a person I always judge myself and I always want myself to be in terms of excellence I want to be doing the best I can and I have this voice in my head that I just can't shut off it's always telling me mm, you could have done this better you could have done that better oh my god I cannot believe you did it like that oh and sometimes I have to battle that that voice and be like you know what I'm all right and a lot of uh, uh, a majority of my life I didn't battle that what I did was I avoided that voice by not doing something I cared about. And that really left me feeling dead and empty for a long time. Because I would see people working on projects that I loved. But I was too scared to actually start working on them. Because I knew this voice would be activated. That would continue to tell me, you could have done that better. You could have done that better. You know, and, you know, for me, I just I just felt that if I just didn't do it, then if I didn't care about it enough, then the inadequacy of not being able to complete it at the level that I want is not going to happen. But something else happened, which was I felt dead inside. I felt like I was watching life through a screen, you know? And alhamdulillah, something dramatic, like really, uh, I would say really traumatic happened in my life that got me on this trajectory to start living life. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit about that story today. That sounded dramatic, didn't it? <laughs> That's kind of what we seek for here at Beautiful Light Studios. We love the drama. We love the pull. But this week, as I was saying, I really got to experience that. For humankind was created weak. A lot of times, we promise things. We promise ourselves things. We promise other people things, things that we don't know we could possibly do. We look at it and we're like, yeah, I can do it. Yeah, it's going to happen. Yeah, of course. And for a second there, we forget that we are not in charge of our life. You know? Popular culture tries to teach you that you should put your goals out there and then do whatever it takes to get there, right? And sometimes what it takes is you sacrificing your soul to get to where you want to go, you know, in hopes of be the fact when you get to that goal, you'll be able to get your soul back. But that's not realistic. Is what I'm learning. <laughs> the thing is, we are a product of our environment. And every year in my life, and almost every month, every day, I sit there and I learn something new. I learn or unlearn something that I have automatically just picked up, you know. And the value system in which I work with, the expectations I put on myself, the how I define what's good, what's bad, all of it comes from the environment around me and the society around me. So when it comes to what I consider to be a good person or a bad person, what I consider to be productive, unproductive, lazy, what I consider to be I'm at a good point in my life, at a bad point in my life was all through by 
the definitions of the environments that were around me. And it wasn't until I was removed from that environment that I started to see the world differently. So let's roll it back. Roll it back all the way to 1995. I know everybody's like... <laughs> Is <laughs> uh, in their thirties or forties, they're going like, okay. <laughs> I had some people, you know. Sometimes when I was at school, um, people would come in and I'd be like, "How long have you been in this?" You'd be like, "Yeah, I started, I started working in this business like in 1995." I would be shocked. Black guys, wow, my entire lifetime you have been doing this position. Wow, and you still can't do your job. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sometimes you meet those people. May Allah protect us from being those people, you know. It's all about growth. It's all about looking around you, learning to be better. Um, but I was born in 1995. I was born in uh, Florence, Italy. I wish I could play you some of the sounds of Italy, but I, um, it's really what I say is a lot of people are, like, shocked at, oh, you were born in Italy? Wow. Right? But the reality of it is that was my mom's story. That's my mom's story. If people don't know, Beautiful Light Studios, the name of Beautiful Light Studios came from Jamila Iftin, which is my mom's name. Jamila meaning beautiful, Iftin meaning light. And I put it together. And it was almost in rebellion because my mom was the one who stopped me. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me roll back. So I was born in Italy. And within four months, my mom got the uh, lottery visa that she randomly applied for to come to the United States. And here she came. Boop, 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 immigration process. You know, it's a long story. I'm. <laughs> she told me the craziest stuff um, about how she got to Italy and how she, you know, came to America and their life in America. You know, saying that it, sometimes a lot of families, you know, they start out in shelters first. And then when you're able to, uh, one of somebody find gets a job, then two feet, you know, the community here in Minnesota really helped each other. And uh, the reason we have such a huge uh, Somali population, in addition to the fact that people got assigned here, is also that all, whenever people go to a new place, they're always looking for a community. So like when you're trying to do a study abroad, the first thing my mom would ask, hmm, we don't know nobody there. You know, it's it's this sense of security. So, alhamdulillah, my mom came here with my dad. And then I'm giving you guys the very short version of the story because it's going to be a juicy, inshallah, something that's going to come out. Bismillah <laughs> ta'ala. Um, so, my mom, my dad, and me, my older brother, we are here. And then my mom was here for about a, a year in her life. And then she said, hmm, this... This lifestyle, not for me. You know, she said, I cannot raise Muslims, Muslim children here. And so we went on over to Syria. We went to Syria. And uh, the reason I asked her one time, I said, why did you pick Syria of all places? She said, it was the only one that was expect, accept, accepting people. And so we got there. And luckily, there were um, her sisters there, you know, also a sense of community there. And then my mom, boop, right away, she put us in an Islamic school. I didn't realize this until I was 20-something years old that my entire schooling system was always in Islamic schools. And so my mom really understood environment and how much it affects you and how it changes you. And she just kind of said, mm-mm. My kids always going to be in an Islamic school, okay? So we were in Syria, even though it's a Muslim country. Um, we we went to a pr private Islamic school. And from a young age, you know, it's funny because remembering back, it, from kindergarten, they're teaching you Surah Yasin. You know, so you get like these first graders or, 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 or kindergartners that can recite Surah Yasin like there's no tomorrow. Yasin wal Quran al So everybody learned Yasin. I don't know if it's if it was something. I I don't know why Surah Yasin, 
somebody out there is probably going to be able to tell you, but Surah Yasin was the, the, the Surah that you learned, right? So um, we had teachers. I had a teacher in first grade that I really loved. Her name is Muna. She is, and you call everybody Ansa. Ansa Muna, you know, she was just, I don't know. I just loved how she taught, you know, and, you know, just going through life, you know. And then um, when, I, when we were in third grade, Actually, when I was in third grade, when I was in second grade, my mom said, hey, we're moving. And it was the first time that the UAE opened up its borders and people could go there. UAE being Al-Imaratul Arabiyyat Al-Muttahidah. So my mom said, we're going to move. We're going to move there. And uh, she really liked the, the life there and the schooling there and things like that. So... But to my child mind, I was shook because Surya was the only place I knew. And I thought Surya was the whole world. So when my mom told me, we're going to go to a new country, I said, we're going to leave the planet. Wow. How are we going to do that? <laughs> you know? And then she pulled out the map. She made me sit down. And then she said, no, this is, this is Surya. This is the rest of the world. And I remember being so shocked and sleeping that night. I didn't sleep that night. That night, I was just staring at, the, at my ceiling thinking, there are other countries. <laughs> so... That was a monumental moment in my life where I discovered the rest of the world. Um, even though we're Somali, like, I don't know why I didn't think about what Somali or anything, but you're like second grader, you know, you don't really you just, I, I, I'm a very present focused person. And so I just lived, I just lived. And then, um, we moved. So we moved to UAE to, to Emirat, to Emirat and, um, again, my mom put us in an Islamic school. And uh, the thing about Islamic schools is that they always incorporate Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they always incorporate um, prayer and they always incorporate, you know, there was a musalla. And by third grade uh, in the Emirat, in the, the boys and the girls were separated and the girls were all in one space. The boys were all uh, in another space and everybody, you know, um, was learning about how to pray. I remember there was a play that taught us about Jam'a uh, and Qasr, which is the prayer, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed the traveler to combine certain prayers uh, or to pray them uh, right after each other at a certain time and to shorten them. I remember we learned through puppets. And I remember like that was my experience, first experience, not first experience, but my experience with the Quran was really uh, elevated and uh, because we they had a accelerator program for people who were able to memorize the Quran and alhamdulillah I've always been good at school and I've always been um, and it came to me pretty naturally and so when it came to memorizing the Quran my and my mom always taught us how to read the Quran and make sure that we learned how to do that so my pronunciation um, was uh, and the amount of care that my mom put into uh, our, us learning the Quran was shown. And so I remember sitting in my principal's office and she was testing me to be in the accelerator program. Because uh, every day you would have two hours of Quran, right? And so I was in this accelerator program and she asked me questions. And I remember her asking me about Surah Al-Muddathir. And I remember that was the first time I learned about Tarqiq, which is when you take the Ra the sound and you actually say it the way it's supposed to yeah right but bruh i was so excited about it i remember i was doing putting a little extra sauce on it <clears throat> a little extra yeah Sometimes, you know, when you're excited about something, you just put a little extra sauce on there. So after I did that, it was, um, uh, I recall sitting there and I recall feeling so proud of myself. And then she said, mashallah, you recite very beautifully. And then she put me in the accelerator program with two other girls that were twins that were known for their hif. And, you know, I remember the the day that they memorized the Quran, you know, they put, brought them to all the classes and they were announcing that they memorized the Quran. And so environment is so important. 
I felt a love for the Quran and a love for learning the Quran. And I wanted to excel because I saw how honored people who excelled in the Quran were, right? And subhanAllah, we were in third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. Um, I learned so much, you know, uh, in the school. And although we moved houses, my mom always kept us in the same school. Um, and she worked day and night. And sometimes she would leave uh, to, because uh, my ch my siblings were born. Whenever they were born, she would leave and she would go to the United States. And then she would give birth there and then she would come back. So that they, you didn't have to do the whole citizenship all over again. They were born as citizens and they came back. And so... Um, after that, fifth grade rolls around, um, we're about to go into sixth grade. And then my mom tells us, again, we are moving. And this is a time I, felt, I think like my mom uh, wanted to continue her education because my mom's a very um, education-driven person. And now that we were all kind of coming up, you know, not all of us were children, uh, she said, we're going to go to the United States. And boom. We came and landed in Minnesota, United States of America. Tell me the biggest culture shock was, especially when I went to school. <laughs> American schooling system is so, <laughs> it's, it's, I didn't, I didn't know. I literally thought I was in a circus. I would sit down in class and the kids were in charge of the class. It was the most crazy experience i had culture shock that way i went to a school that was majority somalis and so it was i didn't speak english very well but i had people i could communicate with right and i had um uh people like you know if if, if i was if i didn't know what it was they would kind of explain it to me in somali and then i would get it so my learning of the language really expediated because i was with multilingual people people and bilingual people and so they were able to kind of create those associations for me and I learned the language much faster than I would if I would have was like isolated or something but at the same time the kids were in charge of the school and for my sixth grade and seventh grade year I was in a different school I didn't realize that my mom, the whole time she was trying to get us into an Islamic school here in Minnesota. Um, the first year they were full, so she took us to the school. And then the second year we took the test, but our English proficiency wasn't good enough for the school. And so we didn't pass a test to get in. And so um, she ended up uh, moving, keeping us at the same school that we were at. And then the third year we were able to come in, which was my eighth grade year. But in this time in my life... I saw the biggest culture shock. Because if you think about it, like in the Arab world, countries are pretty similar. You know, there's certain things where the 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 language and the slang that you use and everything kind of is different, you know, changes. But, you know, respect to the teacher, um, the teacher is in control of the classroom. Um, you know, uh, back then, if you spoke, like the teacher would have a, um, a stick you know, you'd get hit if you were disrespectful, anything like that. You know, you, do, you didn't mess with the teacher. Like, that's, you're messing with your life right there, you know. So here, coming here, bro, I used to come and I used to sit in class and I was like, I'm literally watching TV right now. This is so funny. And we had, you know, it is, this was, you know, if you teach and you know about middle school, it was middle school. And you just got the weirdest things. So I don't know. I felt like I felt like I was so mature. And also like American schooling system, we are not gonna lie. The schooling system is so behind. It is so behind compared to other countries. I came um, to my sixth grade class and I didn't speak English at the time. We were in math class. The teacher was doing, uh, you know, was it long division or something like that? And it was something I learned in third grade. So I thought, oh, they're doing a review thing today, you know. So then the teacher asked the questions. I don't know. I have my terminology is not the same, you know, for multiplication. I would say, you know, I had multiple. I have different like vocab, but I knew what was going on. Right. So then I would solve it. And then the teacher would look at me and say, wow, why not? excellent <laughs> I was like 
you, this is like third grade stuff. We're in sixth grade. Why are you so shocked that I could do this? And I ended that class with like 105%. Like it was such an easy class because it was stuff we took in third grade. And we're in sixth grade right now. Anyways, uh, that got me to see that, I don't my level was higher. And so um, one of the things that I started to look for is to try to skip grades so I could actually... Um, not feel so bored in class. But alhamdulillah, then uh, the opportunity for the Islamic school came out. And this Islamic school, actually, their schooling system was much higher. You know, they are very um, driven and specific about what you learn. So it was kind of challenging when I started the school. And I'm glad I didn't skip grades. So I started in eighth grade. Um, the main difference that was so interesting was it was the first time since I came to the United States that someone looked at me, and this is in an Islamic school, someone looked at me and asked me, does your dad make you wear that? And I said, what do they make me wear? <laughs> How does he make me wear? He said, yeah, your hijab. Does your dad make you wear it? And I was so confused because you would think, you would think you would not be getting this question in, in Islamic school. Right. But as as we um, as I went through that school, I started to realize that a lot of people are just Muslim by name. I want to take a moment to talk about an app that has sponsored this episode. It's Sanam's. If you're searching for a Muslim partner who shares your values and core beliefs, or maybe you moved to a new city and you're in search of sisterhood, you're in search of Muslims in your vicinity to connect with, you know, maybe some sisters that you want to do a Quran circle with, Salams is the app for you. With over 3.5 million Muslims who've signed up globally, all with the same mind of trying to find somebody, Salams has made it easy for you to search, build, and find a relationship that's based on the foundations of Islam, from friendship to the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, all the way to finding the right partner for marriage. This app is vital. It's also free, easy, and safe to use, with options such as text chat, voice messages, personalized filters, viewing your profile stats, and an anti-ghost tool too. Give Salams a try by heading to salams.app.link backslash podcast. And download it today. That's Salams, S-A-L-A-M-S, dot app, A-P-P, dot L-I-N-K, backslash, T-D-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, to download today. You know, we're Muslim by culture. And I didn't understand that because to me, I'm a very, I'm a very logical person. So... Islam made sense to me. So whenever I would look for a reasoning or an understanding of something that I didn't understand, I would go automatically to Allah. I would go to the deen. I'll try to understand it through that perspective because who else can tell you and help you understand human beings than the one who created the human beings, right? So it was it was like Islam wasn't like a like an outside thing for me. But I realized a lot of people were not ta- taught that way. They were not taught that this is Islam is not a part-time job, that you, as a Muslim, you live it. And I realized that because of my environment and the fact that I saw, you know, in, in another country, I saw lawyers, I saw taxi drivers, I saw, you know, um, dentists, I saw everybody was Muslim. And they, you know, when it was Salah time, they would stop whatever they're doing, they'll go pray, you know, uh, it was... It, that because of my environment, it was embedded in me that I was a Muslim, and a Muslim lives out their Islam. But here in the West, it's something different. Islam almost becomes a culture, and that didn't really make any sense to me. So when I got that question, I just paused, and I said, what? No. <laughs> no, he doesn't. I wear the hijab, because it's the hijab. You're supposed to wear the hijab. Yeah. I know, you know? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like, what, what would my dad... It, my dad was so removed from the picture in my head that I was like, how would my dad even make me? Like, that makes no sense, you know? And uh, it, was, it, was, it was such a learning experience because then I realized that Alhamdulillah, even though we were in the environment, and one of the things I loved is that we, I, w- I was rarely exposed to secular teaching. You know, 
a lot of times when I became a teacher later on, one of the things, all of my students were Muslim, but I was under a public school. So if you taught kids about God and you taught them about, you would be getting in trouble yourself. So it's almost I had to separate and create the separation between, you know, deen, uh, between religion and, you know, life. And that is a system that if, if you watch it long enough, you'll start to do that in your own life. And that's what happened to me at the end of it. You know, when I, I met my uh, one of my friends, Ustada Amal Abdiftah, and when I was talking to her, you know, she studied religions in school in college and it was the first time that I realized I was like whoa never did I ever think that my career could be could involve my dean because uh, I saw it as two separate things and I realized that that's a result of your environment because a lot of things you start to believe them without knowing without knowing you are believing in your head the things that are that are somebody else's ideologies, you know, an environment affects you. You learn through things, right? So, and I start like you know, I'm a I love to self reflect. I love to always think about it. Um, why I believe the things I believe. And Alhamdulillah, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala allowed me to be born a Muslim because not understanding why I exist in this world. Would have been way too hard. You know, I always say, La yukallifullahu nafsan illa husaha. You know? And Allah knew I couldn't handle not being born a Muslim. Like he said, this one, this one, this one, we got to give her the answers from the get-go. Because she's, she's law. She's law. <laughs> you know? And alhamdulillah, you know, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed me to be born a Muslim. To have the answers from the get-go. You know? And not be in the state of lostness with the basic things things about the world you know what i'm saying so alhamdulillah uh in the school i really i saw i saw the dual life that people a lot of people lived you know where it's like appease your parents and go do whatever you want to do you know so it was like a dual lifestyle some people you know that because hijab was part of our uniform um they would wear hijab at school and then when i meet them outside they're on their uh, different type of their hijab journey, right? So it was, it was a little bit of a shock to me because I always thought, you know, people were taught Islam from as as as, a, as something you live, not something you perform. Islam taught as something you live, not as something you perform. But that wasn't the case. A lot of people, you know, they were assumed. I think there was a shame in asking questions. As, um, and I kind of start to experience that more and more. It's like, there's a shame in you and going like, okay, so who is Allah? Why do we believe in Allah? Why? You are asking basic questions. And that is not how Islam or the Quran is set up. Because the Quran itself tells you to ask questions, tells you to challenge, tells you to, to think, to use your mind, to, to engage with the text in a thinking way. Not to just silently submit and just be quiet. No. Like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks you, if you can think, if you can find something better than the Qur'an, go find it. Try to find it. You know? Uh, it's a challenge. It's the Qur'an. It's a challenging text. It challenges our status quo. And so, and I'm, I'm a thinker. I love to debate. I love to, 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 to like exchange ideas and to expand. And so I, I, I saw that Islam allowed me the freedom to do that while it had the confidence the confidence to respond back with beautiful clarity and beautiful authority and that can only come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm. You know what I mean? And But a lot of people, because they were insecure about their knowledge of the deen, they taught their children to not ask questions because they couldn't answer those questions. And anybody who was just curious and wanted to ask questions they were like astaghfirullah how dare you ask that question and that came from insecurity you you as a person don't know enough so you make it seem like the dean doesn't know enough or have enough and so thus this you know and when you don't talk when you don't allow conversation to happen things will go on go on it's not like the things will disappear the things will just go on in the 
the heart of the person. So, off to college I go. And I didn't have a passion of anything. I didn't have a passion of sorts. I was living life just floating through. Uh, I was was really good at school. So when we sat down to decide what's going to be my major, I was really, I don't know, there was nothing exciting about school except that it was just the next phase, you know, in life. So my mom said, why don't you do nursing? Nursing's the way to go. Look at this. Job security. You always have a job. Um, We know the path. I've walked it. I'll help you out. Let's go. Get your license. And I said, you know what? This kind of this kind of seems lucrative. You know, I, I I like being able to help someone out in health situations. Um, I have nothing against it. So I said, okay. And I'm a person. I didn't like. I I have I have what do I call it? My energy reserve is limited. So I would say, you know, some conversation some. Things are worth the energy. Some things are not worth the energy. So then I said, you know what? You know, if I know what I want to do and I kind of have a path, let me just go. So I went to college, started nursing, you know, did nursing. But the thing I realized is that, you know, what did I do with my free time had nothing to do with nursing. It always had to do with community building, um, leadership opportunities, you know, being in spaces with people, talking to people, doing communications, you know, And at some point in my life, I started to look at both sides. And I started to see that nursing was really a side thing. And the only reason I was surviving in nursing is because I'm just really good at exams. I had no passion for it. And so out of respect for the field, (laughs) I said, thank you very much. You can keep, (laughs) you can keep nursing. And I said, I don't want to become the bitter nurse that's, standing there and treating people um in a way in a certain way because I only did this for a career you know and I said let me explore my actual strengths let me explore what I actually like and to me this was a logical decision you know I don't like this let me figure out it's not that I don't like it I have no passion in this I have passion in this let me see what I could do with it all right but (laughs) that was a simple conversation in my head in my household, it was not. It, it was, I was sitting there after Fajr. And what I did first was I dropped all my nursing classes, signed up for all my, I started with communications first because I said, I like to talk. I like communications. Let's, let's go through that. So I started communications, dropped all of my nursing classes. And I said, today, I'm going to tell you about my life decision. So we prayed to Fajr together and then we're sitting down and I said, I said, Hoya Abe, I just wanted to let you guys know I'm not doing nursing anymore. I am doing communications. Then I paused. And it took the news a little bit to settle in. And then my mom said, what? And then my dad said, what? And I was like, huh? (laughs) I was not expecting this reaction. Yeah, I was expecting, oh, wow, that's a big decision. Why did you make that decision? No, I was not expecting. <laughs> what? Oh, my God. And off went. Off went the house. We were fighting for days, bruh. Days. It was a tough time in my life. I was just like, I just want to change my major. What's wrong with that? <laughs> and then they were like, no, you can't. Do something in the health field. Do something here. And I said, whoa. It was the first time that I ever rocked the boat. You know, I was always like, uh, just did everything. It was the first time that I decided to rock the boat. And the more they talked, the more I realized that this was not about, this was not about my success. It was about their fear of me not being able to succeed. And I, I don't know how I peeped that, but in my heart, I saw that. And I realized the reason my mom didn't want me to do communication wasn't because communication was not a successful field. She just didn't know the field. You know? Um, and I was shocked that they didn't trust me enough that I'll be able to bring something. And so I was also hurt. 
you know, my feelings were hurt. And what I decided to do was um, I I said to her, my mom, I said, oh, like, why, why do I have to do? And it got to the point where they were saying, either do something in the health field or just drop out of school. And I was like, that was a little dramatic. I'm sorry, what? Like, you know, and um, <laughs> it was kind of really crazy uh, to me because I was like, drop out of school completely. I, like, just because you don't know this and you don't know what is entitled in it or you don't see a clear path to the end of it doesn't mean that there isn't one. And so... My mom is very stubborn, and she gave birth to a very stubborn daughter. <laughs> so our stubborn heads were clashing. Because I was telling her, oh, let me tell you, like, there's a lot. And, you know, the more I got challenged, the more answers I came up with. Because I was like, if you think about it, the world is destroying Islam in media. Think about it. If in the the slander that is happening to islam in the media space is insane it's almost became like a script that people just pick up you know and people are trying to be self-righteous about it and i used to be so angered at how illogical they were at how much lies was being told about Islam. And it, was, it wasn't like, you're not even attacking the real Islam. You're just attacking something completely different and then calling it Islam. And it's one of the reasons why a lot of people, when they actually picked up the Quran, read the Quran, and studied, they became Muslims. And there were more people becoming Muslim after big major events like 9-11, where people were, Islam, Muslims, oh, like, you know, um, and, and, and trying to bring down uh, Islam to the actions of you know people who are clearly had a terrorist agenda and Islam has a clear response to what terrorists are right and how they should be treated and so the fact that it, a lot of people got to learn about Islam and be exposed to Islam and more people became Muslim after event, uh, 9-11 than before um, it shows you how truthful this religion is and so I said, you know what? Uh, my power is in creating stories. My power is in knowing and being able to communicate ideas. Why can't I use that to defend Islam? Why can't I use that to create things? So I, I was just you know, stubborn and stubborn. Mm. But it's also such a painful experience, you know, when your parents are are you. They're clear. They don't have actual reasons that they're telling you um or they have reasons but you know the reasons are stemming from fear or lack of trust in you or lack of this and it's 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 not legitimate enough for you to 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 do to you know destroy your life because for me being in nursing school would have just destroyed my the next two years of my life and I did try it for I tried to go back for a month uh, for a semester that was the worst semester of my life. I just hated every aspect of it because I knew it wasn't for me. And subhanAllah, I remember a lot of people coming up to me in my community afterwards. They were like, thank you for leaving nursing because my mom always used to use you as an example. <laughs> She'd be like, look, look at Mona. She's doing nursing. Why don't you want to do nursing? <laughs> like, now that you left, now I could use it as an excuse. But um, alhamdulillah, long story short uh i did do communications and one of the major things that happened in that was i really had to stop and trust the fact that future me or me I, i'm not a person because i had that fear too i was like what if i don't find a, find a job in this what if i don't do this you have all of this but you also have to defend that and so i told myself i don't know what i'm gonna do i don't know what's gonna happen in the future I can't know. I'm just a human being. But what I do know is that I am not a person who could sit somewhere for more than two hours and just not do anything. That's just me as a personality. And I, I like I feel I have this sense of like I need purpose to my time. 
And so if I sit somewhere for a very long period of time and not do anything, I feel guilty about, I feel pressure. And I was like, I just know myself. I'm not the type of person to just sit around. So I'm just going to trust future me. And I'm going to trust Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to show me where I need to go. And I'll find out on the way, you know. And it's it's gutsy, it's scary, but you have to do it every day consistently to tell yourself, I trust, I trust, I trust, I trust. Put my trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the life I'm living now is a testimony of that trust. Because afterwards, my mom, at some point, when she finally accepted it. I'm not going to lie, I'm going to say this, okay? Adults and parents throw tantrums too, okay? Sometimes you just have to wait out that tantrum. <laughs> Some people are sitting there going like, Astaghfirullah. Some people are going like, yeah, I know what you mean. Adults throw tantrums. You just got to wait it out, you know? <laughs> and alhamdulillah that I did because they really got over their fear. And, I, and my mom started to see the benefits of what I'm doing. And my dad started to see the benefits of what I'm doing. And even now, like with the digital sisterhood, the amount of global reach that we've had, the people that we've had, it is just uh, such a tremendous experience to sit there and know that so many people who have been looking and searching for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have found a home and a solace in a podcast, you know, in a podcast like, like, like this. And it really moves my heart. To do that, you know. And so I'm growing up and I'm learning. And after college, you know, I was looking around, searching. how, What can I do with my storytelling? Because I graduated with a, a degree in, uh, we, it was titled Electronic Media Studies, but it was like filmmaking and radio production. Um, and I made so many connections with so many different people. And I started to see that, you know, the people who tell stories are the people who reach the farthest hearts. And there's, there's a reason that stories are embedded in the Qur'an. And so we're here, alhamdulillah, because of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's plan. We're here because I didn't know. There's, a, a, there's chunks of this story that I didn't tell. And I told in other different episodes. And there's chunks that are yet to be told, inshallah, um, when I do my actual episode with Adar. But I, 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 was, I wanted to kind of conclude this episode with this. Sometimes I think right now these days, majority of the time I'm living with guilt. I'm living with guilt of time. I don't have time to do a lot of things. And I feel like or, or, or I don't have time to do all the things that I want. And sometimes your reach and your capabilities as a human being, actually not sometimes, majority of the time, it's capped. There's only so much you can do in a day. There's only so much you can do in the 24 hours that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you in that day. And some of it, you can, and there's only so much you are allowed to give to other people because your body is in a manner too. And there's only so much that you can take care of. And there's only so much that you could do. And we live in a world that's a little bit delusional, thinking that we could do everything we put our mind to. You can but not right now. There's a plan in place. Allah gives us a rizq, right? Incrementally, for a reason, right? And He does it so beautifully ordained. And He describes the human being. Innahu kana. A zalim is a person who always transgresses. Here's the line, you always pass the line. Jahula, ignorant. Don't know nothing. 
you know? In our very nature, we don't know. And so sometimes I found myself telling myself I'm not a good person. And my definition of not a good person was just me being a human being. I'm a human being, you know, we all are. We're flawed, we're limited. We expect more, <laughs> we expect to carry more than we actually can. We rush to everything. We do, we, we are just running. And so, one of the things I wanted to say for this podcast is, this podcast is a podcast that takes a lot of work. And I know people, some people understand that, some people know that. But I'm really talking to myself. <laughs> I'm not talking to anybody out there, I'm talking to myself. Uh, this podcast takes a lot of work to produce. And sometimes we have a plan. Actually, all the time we have a plan. We write it down. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. This, at this point, we're going to do this, you know? And I find myself a lot. I make commitments for future me without knowing the circumstances of future me. Right? And then when future me comes out, feels guilty. <laughs> Guilt-ridden because there's all these expectations that was laid on her of things that she had to do and had to get done. That she doesn't get to breathe. She doesn't get to be. You know? And I forget. <laughs> forget a lot how weak we are as human beings. And so as a workaholic, as a person who, you know, I never thought I was a workaholic until people around me were like, you're deluding yourself. You are a workaholic. And I didn't realize that a lot of the stuff that I just considered, oh, this is not, this is just me doing something like it was actually work. And I don't realize it until I actually start to get exhausted, just gone, tired of the world, want to erase my existence, disappear. I don't realize it until that point. But we're learning. We're growing. The thing about the Digital Sisterhood and Beautiful Light Studios, we're both startups. And so we we started this in our uh, bedrooms, you know, throwing ideas out there. And then we realized, and this is something a lot of people told us, this is so great. Please don't stop. And they say those words, please don't stop. Because there's there's been a lot of, you know, great programs that just ended up running out of steam. And Adar and I are not planning to let this go away. Right? So sometimes, you know, and what we learned this year is we can't <laughs> we can't be doing in person and studio stuff at the same time because you know what happens after every time uh, we travel around or other travels around? We get sick. We get so sick. And that we have to just take a whole week out. So this summer was uh, one of the first summers that we we were doing. We were trying to we were trying to do both. We were trying to do studio and trying to do travel. <laughs> and then we realized around, and that's why we took the break in July. He said we really can't do it. And then we realized that we actually did make commitments that go all the way up into September, November. And so, like, we're starting to realize that, yeah, okay, all this traveling, yeah, we can't just do it for the time that we're traveling. We have to also give us ourselves less rest. So we sat down and kind of planned out, you know, the next episodes, the next seasons with that in mind, with kind of thinking about, okay, how can we end this season in the most beautiful note? And how can we uh, also... Um, and how can we also... Take care of ourselves. <laughs> and for me, what taking care of myself means is uh, giving, handing parts of the job to other people. And it's a must. And building the team. There's a reason seasons, seasons uh, for podcasts are eight seasons. 
There's a reason that people who are able to run podcasts for a very long time and the reason they succeed is um, after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course, after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the team. You need to hire people. You need to pay people. If this is being done voluntarily, it's going to run out of steam and it's going to go away. And I know I do not want the Digital Sisterhood podcast to ever go away. You know, I imagine Adan and I in our 60s, you know, somewhere in the mountains going like, yeah, well, she'll be 60. I'll be. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but, you know, in our 60s going like, OK, so what are the young ones up to today? <laughs> What are, what, are, what are they doing here, you know? Um, and kind of just reflecting on the birds and reflecting uh, on, you know, the things that we see and, you know, the experiences that we've had. And maybe, you know, talking about maybe menopause or talking about something like that. You know, you never know. Something out there, you know, uh, yeah, we've lived, you know, business. You never know. Um, but I really see this podcast as, as a life journey. And... Right now we're on in our twenties. Other just became thirty. <laughs> Not me exposing Ada's age, but at some point. Um but she's she's proud. She's proud to be thirty. Proud to be thirty. Um that is gonna be an experience. And what you get to witness now is to witness that growth. And I hope this episode really allows you to be free. It really allows you to just relax, man. You in the past may have lied on you here in the present and said that you could do something that you were not capable of doing at the current moment, at the current circumstances. And who was she to talk for you? Or who was he to talk for you? It's okay. You can say, yo, circumstances have changed. I am a human being. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to take care of this. Whatever that we are trying to do. But I just can't do it right now. I'm going to try my best. You're not a failure if you do that. And I hope you're getting that from your favorite podcast. <laughs> you know, Some people like to take us, and as Hilal always says, I want to remind people I am trash. I am not the person... Do not elevate me. I am not, I am nothing. And it's true. The thing that you are seeking, and I'm just a human being. When I say I'm a human being, we're all flawed. Subhanallah, we're all trash. The only thing that elevates us or tries, that, that gets us is our love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know? We don't know nothing. One of the things I love about Hilal always, she always says, you know, I am trash. I'm just a person. I'm trash. Okay? Listen to me. I make mistakes. I don't want you putting me in the space of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his kitab and his messengers of Allah, uh, 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 sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then I do something wrong and then you start to follow me thinking that I'm a part of them. We're all people that are striving. We're all trying to be better. We're trying to do our best. You know? When we say, I'm not a good person... There's no such thing as good or bad. There's no such thing as a good. Actually, that sounds really weird when I say it like that. Let me rephrase that. We are human beings. Innately, we are flawed. Goodness is striving. When you strive to be better, that's what it means to be a good person. So if you're sitting somewhere and you're trying your best... But you're still telling yourself, I'm not a good person. I think you're just trying to say, I'm a human being. I'm a human being, but I'm trying. I'm trying my absolute best. And that's the reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet told us, Actions are judged by their intentions. Because only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows your intention. You can't deceive nobody, right? And Allah says, the best amongst us, right? The Prophet says, the best amongst us, what? Hmm. Hmm. The Quran says, right? 
وجعلناكم شعوبا وقبائل لتعارفوا made you into nations and tribes so that you make it know each other right in akramakum indallahi atqakum the best amongst you the highest amongst you is the one who's most god conscious so that's something you can't even see you could be doing bad but you're still thinking about allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you're thinking ya allah help me get out of this situation I hate what I'm doing right now. I'm doing it, but I hate what I'm doing. Please get me out of the situation. That's God consciousness. You actually, your intention is to get out. Not what it looks like. You get what I'm saying? So, friends, we are human beings. We are trying our best. Let's not kill ourselves. Let's not buy into some capitalist mentality that just wants to make somebody up there a lot of money. <laughs> you know? Let's live the way the Prophet ﷺ lived, the way the Sahaba lived. Let's live with intention. Let's live with vision. Let's live with sincerity and acknowledging where we are. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah for the things that allow you to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Always. That's a great blessing. And inshallah, inshallah, With the help of Allah, I will see you guys in the next episode. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This has been Muna. I'm your producer for the show. This has been a producer takeover. Very minimal editing on this one. So I hope you enjoy it. All of the unedited joy. <laughs> the extra pauses. The, the laughter unnecessary. The tandems. Um, this podcast has always been hosted by Adar Mahmoud. She's been feeling kind of sick, you guys, so make dua for her. Um, also, our producer in training is Naima Haroon, someone I forgot to mention last episode, but is one of the best people in the world. And even if I forget her, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never forget her. Uh, Wasima Farah, she is our graphic artist. Uh, she is uh, a person who has been working so hard since the beginning of this podcast. She works and works and works, has fun as she does work. Very honest, very beautiful in the way she engages in the world. And so may Allah protect her, preserve her, and keep her in my life forever, for eternity, inshallah. And then... Um, uh, We have Sosan Abdullahi, who's our marketing and marketing extraordinaire. Woman works so hard all the time. We have Yasmin Mahmoud, our project manager, getting us all in shape together. <laughs> uh, and bi'idhnillah, uh, we're going to have more people added to this team as we go. If you ever see TDS or if you ever see Beautiful Light Studios uh, asking you to support the podcast, please don't hesitate. Always feel free. And don't forget to check out the Salams app. Inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.